Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Gardner, and I talk about traumatic brain injury recovery. And today I'm pleased to be speaking with Dr. Arnold Purish, neuropsychologist. Traumatic brain injury recovery. So, Arnie, let's talk a little about brain injury. What is a concussion? Concussion, there's various types of traumatic brain injury. As the name says, that there's been some sort of trauma, usually a blunt trauma, where someone may hit their head on something, usually in an automobile accident, or they get thrown from a motorcycle. And so their head hits something, and the brain starts uh, actually in, inside of the skull. We have the type that uh, is called a crush injury. This is if someone uh, hit you over the head with something. You're on a construction site, and a two-by-four falls from uh, 25 feet and, and hits you on the head. So that, that's really a moving object hitting a stationary brain. But for the most part, we typically talk about post-concussive phenomenon in the first scenario, where you get the head hitting a stationary object with some force. And so the brain is really the consistency, some people have said, of toothpaste, of jello, of, of silly putty. In any event, it's a lot less dense than the surrounding skull. So the head stops all of a sudden, but the brain can twist, it can reverberate back and forth. There's a number of things that can happen to it. And if the damage that occurs to the brain is not that great, and typically clinically, we can infer how bad the damage is by the person's cognitive state right after the injury. And we look at a number of things. We look at whether they've lost consciousness. Oftentimes, people will be awake. They may walk and talk but not remember what's going on. We call that post-traumatic amnesia. We may all be familiar with a football player who doesn't know they're concussed. They throw a touchdown pass and they don't even remember that they did that. That's a unique example because usually when you're concussed, you're not that capable. But we do know that many times people think they're unconscious. They simply don't remember what's going on because the brain gets concussed enough that it stops, stops processing what's going on around them. And so as far as you're concerned, you've lost consciousness, but you just haven't put in that memory. And, and so we have mild, moderate, and severe traumatic brain injuries. Mild traumatic brain injury, I think, and concussion are usually used synonymously. I don't like the fact they're equated, but nonetheless, when you see those, they're often used synonymously. And to have a mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, we're typically talking about someone uh, who's had relatively minimal alteration of consciousness. And we look at that in terms of if they've lost consciousness, it has to be less than 30 minutes. If they have what we call this post-traumatic amnesia, it has to be less than 24 hours, okay? When you get into the moderate range for loss of consciousness, it could be 30 minutes up to 24 hours, and then severe is over 24 hours, so you've lost consciousness for more than a day. For post-traumatic amnesia, up to 24 hours is mild, 24 hours to a week is moderate, and after a week, that's considered severe. So to make a long story short, too late for that, we're talking about someone who has a loss of consciousness of less than a half hour, and if they have a gap in their memory, it is less than 24 hours. Well, Artie, why do they call it a mild traumatic brain injury when pe some people, after a mild traumatic brain injury, can have problems that are pretty serious and interfere with their functioning and are long-lasting? So why do they say mild? It may be a question of degree. 
I mean, some people have moderate traumatic brain injuries. Some people have severe traumatic brain injuries that recover pretty well. But the fact of the matter is, when we look at people and we put them into these three different categories, it's more of a continuum than anything else, we find that people who have severe traumatic brain injuries function worse in daily life after the injury than moderate and even less so mild. It doesn't mean that a mild traumatic brain injury can't have profound effects upon your life, but we call it mild compared to moderate and severe, where you're more likely to have more severe and chronic problems than mild. So the mild has more to do with diagnostic criteria than the severity of the symptoms and problems that follow the injury. One expects for moderate or severe, there may be more severe symptoms over the long term. But again, that's, that, there's a lot of individual variability. But ultimately, what we're looking at is how a person functions in daily life. And we're trying to look at what the brain is capable of doing after mild traumatic brain injury. If, in fact, their daily life makes demands of those regions of the brain, then they're going to have some real problems. So I, I like to say that two different people with the same exact injury but have different demands or circumstances in daily life will have a different degree of disability. So you have someone who's had a concussion, but they're a guy or a woman who works on an assembly line and they do a repetitive, relatively non-cognitive task all day. They come home, they watch sitcoms, they basically have, they, they don't have a lot of intellectual type of interests. They're, they're different types of interests. You have that same injury to someone who is their boss in the factory. And this is a person who is managing a thousand people. He has a number of executives under him or her comes home and has a very intellectually, culturally based life. This person has a mild cognitive problem. This may actually turn out to be something that they can't even work anymore. They can't mm -hmm. keep up with their high level friends. They go home and they try to read and they keep losing their train of thought and they can't keep up with that. They have mild irritability and all of a sudden they're losing their, you know, their, their temper. This could create a rather grave disability, it completely upends their lifestyle, Whereas in the first case, the demands are less in life. And as a result, you might almost say no harm, no foul. That's not entirely true because people with mild injuries who don't have great demands in their life, let's just say they're young, they may have a hard time working up the corporate ladder because the higher you work up or a kid who may be doing okay in fifth grade, Right. By the time in high school, the intellectual and academic demands are much greater. So all of a sudden, they begin to show greater disability as the demands in the real world grow. So you're less likely to show problems with mild compared to moderate. Moderate, you're likely to show it more readily across circumstances and certainly severe. That would be even more the case. But you're not free from problems. So when you have impairments, you don't necessarily have disability unless there's an intersection with a demand for that impairment. Gotcha. So you're saying, Arnie, that similar impact can cause different results because of different cognitive demands. Are there other factors that can lead to different results and different problems? I think in some respects, they tend to bear on some of the same issues. So for example, we know that people have a good supportive family. Right? People have good insurance, right? They can afford treatment. 
those sorts of things may actually lessen the demands on them. There may be a family who is very sophisticated, they're involved in treatment, and they don't necessarily label the person's change behavior in a way that may complicate things with anxiety and depression and family stress. We also need to take the person not just from a cognitive perspective, but how they were doing emotionally and personality and intellectually. Someone with greater resources intellectually or emotionally, greater resilience, is likely to cope better. Sometimes people are very successful because they're very hard driving. They're very perfectionistic. They have a very good work ethic and they succeed well in life. Unfortunately, that may be a double-edged sword because they may tolerate errors in themselves far less graciously than someone else who says, oh, well. So one's personality, one's environment, one's resiliencies, in addition to the demands of the environment and the cognitive problems, all of those figure into prognosis. Please let me know in the comments what questions you have and what other topics you'd like me to discuss.